Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated by Laura and Mauricio Sion of South Florida in honor of Uncle Maurice Dweck for the Achnasat Sefer Torah he is doing today at the David Ishak Synagogue in London in honor of his beloved wife Naomi Bat Oro Zal. May you continue to do mitzvot, hesed ma'asim tobim, till 120. Also dedicated loving memory of Mara Sultan, on his Askara, sponsored by his son Abraham Sultan. Dedicating the zechut of a life of all good for the new wise couple, Mabruk. As well, let loving memory and the Lui Nishmat Rabbi Moshe Aharon ben Rabbi Haim Pinto, Alava Shalom, Annette Amos, his father, sponsored by Annette and Gabriel Amos. Also dedicated loving memory of the Nosrat Nejat Haim, Alea Shalom, Lui Nishmat Nosrat Bat Habibola, on her first Askara, beloved mother, grandmother, and great mother, great grandmother, sponsored by the Shamsian and Nejat Haim families. Uh, sponsored as well by Carlos Biggio and Zach Ambalo, dedicated in honor of the Biggio and Luce Garden families around the world, Jonathan Jamri and his family, and Rabbi Fari for his inspiring shiurim. As well, sponsored by Joel Basalian, dedicated in honor of his sister, Michal Devorah Basalian, who just started a year in seminary, Dar Chibina. Bezrat Hashem, she has a year full of Torah growth and inspiring those around her. As well, dedicated loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safar, Lui Nishmat, Lea Badova Kohen Vechana, Alea Shalom, whose philanthropy has reached so many throughout the the entire world, and finally sponsored by David E. Ash, the cold brew, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, the Pasuk tells us, according to the Torah, that they teach you, and to the law that they tell you, that you should do, don't turn away from the thing that they tell you, you small. Don't turn right or left from the words of the sages who are telling you or expressing to you the ideas and the responsibilities of the Torah. Rashi says on these words, yamin usmol, that a person needs to listen to the words of the Chachamin and they shouldn't turn right or left. What does it mean don't turn right or left? Even if he tells you about what you think is right, that it is small, that it is left, still, or al small shu yimin, on what you think is left, he tells you it's actually right, still you have an obligation to listen to the chachamim and to their, uh, and to their commandments and their, to their, uh, and to their exhortations. Now, Ramban, on the spot, asks what seems to be the most obvious question. He says, what does that mean? Which rabbi is going to tell you about right that it's left, or left that it's right? What's going on, Right? And he says, and what it means is, even if you think the rabbi is making a mistake, obvious to me, as sure as you are about your right that it is right, and that your left that it is left, you are, you're sure the rabbi is wrong. Still, you should listen to what they're telling you. Obviously, you got to choose a rabbi that's worthy of that title and worthy uh, of that respect uh, and that trust. Tomar, kach oti, you should say to yourself, this is what Ha'adon, my, God, my master, has commanded me, ha-mitzaveh ala mitzvot, who commands the mitzvot, she'eseh b'chol mitzvotav, that I should do in all of his mitzvot, k'chol ashe yoruni ha'omdim lefanav mekom ha'shevchar, that I should do according to the will of the Chachamim, of the rabbis of the Torah uh, that are standing uh, uh, on, that, uh, on that mission. 
And according to their understanding of the law, is what he commanded me to do, even if they're making a mistake in my estimation, still my mitzvah is to do what they've told me to do. Is that not magnificent? And he gives the example. The Mishnah Roshana tells us that there was a time, everyone have no fear, they're just testing the alarm system. Okay? Either that or we're just you know, starting to go clubbing in Safra. Okay. What does that mean? There was a machlok and a disagreement between the two great sages, Rabbi Yoshua and at the time, and Rabban Gamliel, as to what day of the year of the, of the calendar Yom HaKippur fell out on. Today we have a set calendar since the time of, uh, of, of Ilela Katan. We have a set calendar. But at the time, they would sanctify the moon based on, uh, what's it called, on the witnesses that would come, etc., etc. So there was a disagreement one year as to what day Yom Kippur fell out on. Rabbi Yoshua said one day, Rabban Gamliel said another day. Rabban Gamliel was running the Beit Din. He was the Nasi, he was in charge at the time. He was the, uh, the, the prince, if you will. He was running Am Yisrael. And Rabbi Yoshua was a great Talmi Chacham. Disagree with him. Rabban Gamliel understood that if Rabbi Yoshua could have a different day of Yom Kippur, you'd have the whole Jewish people split. So he tells Rabbi Yoshua, he says, I'm asking of you, on the day that you consider Yom Kippur to be, I want you to come to my house and come with your staff and with your wallet. I want you to break Yom Kippur according to your own estimation. Come to my house. And what does Rabbi Yehoshua do? He goes to the house of Rabbi Gamliel with his staff and with his wallet. Because that's the halakha. The halakha is that there's a law as to how we adjudicate uh, questions and discrepancies in in halakhic law. So if I feel I'm a rabbi, I understand this is the halakha. But the majority of the rabbis disagree with me. The law says I follow them, even if I think I'm right. That means that the Torah can tell you to do something, even if you might think it's incorrect. And by the way, here's the, here's the kicker. What if it is incorrect? What if in the end, the law was according to the yachid, the one, and not the many? The halakha says yachid v'rabim, a single opinion, and the many opinion, who do you follow? You follow the opinion of the many. What happens if an actual fact, like we say, according to heaven, the one guy is actually right? It doesn't matter. You did the right thing to do the wrong thing. Isn't that wild? And by the way, what if you say, you know what, I, I don't know, I know the halakaz, yachid verabim, I'm deciding in this case, I'm right, I'm going to do my thing. You did the right thing, and what does God consider it? The wrong thing. You did an avon. You did an avera. So the pasuk here is telling us something very, very powerful. That the rabbis were invested with a power from God. You know, that line goes, by the power vested in me, not by the state of New Jersey. By the power vested in me, by melech malchei hamelachim. Rambam writes that that's how a person is able to make a beracha. We make a blessing on mitzvot midrabanan. Baruch atah Hashem. Blessed are you Hashem. Elokeinu melech haolam. King of the world. Asher kedeshanu v'mitzvotah v'tzivanu. God, you sanctified us with your mitzvot v'tzivanu. And you commanded us lehadlik ner Chanukah. Show me where God commanded me in this book to light the, the lights of Chanukah. How could you say in the Beracha, God, you commanded me 
to light the lights of Hanukkah. It's a lie. And Ramam explains, the reason is, because God commanded you to listen to the Chachamim. And the Chachamim told you to light candles on Hanukkah. So by proxy, the mitzvah of Nerot Hanukkah is actually a direct commandment from God. You have to do al tiha Torah asher yorucha lo tasur yemin ulo tasur min amidavash yagilucha yemin usmo. Don't turn to the right or to the left. My friends, I want you to understand this idea, what it means. And there's two parts to this concept, to the listening to rabbis uh, that we are commanded to do by the Torah. <clears throat> there was a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Meir Simcha. He wrote a very famous sefer called Or Sameach, fantastic book. In it, actually, there's amazing, some amazing things. Also, the fact that he predicts that there's going to be a, uh, um, a, uh, a destruction of the Jewish community and indeed much of the world. And where's it going to come from? It's going to come from Berlin. And he says it's 150 years before it happens. Okay? Very, very powerful uh, sefer, unbelievable rabbi. Anyway, he has a shamosh, uh, an aide, who's working with him for many, many years. Very loyal. Anyway, one time, the rabbi asked the shamosh to do something. And the gabai, this guy, uh, his aide, he, he, didn't, he didn't feel it was the right thing to do. He thought the rabbi made a mistake. So he decided he's not going to do it because he, didn't, he thought the rabbi was incorrect. He comes back to the rabbi. The rabbi says, did you? He says, no, the truth is, I'm sorry, I didn't do it. He says, I didn't think it was the right thing to do. So uh, I didn't do it. The rabbi said, I can't believe it. You know, you never listened to me. You never fulfilled my words. You never did what I told you to do in all the years you've been working for me. Guy looks at the rabbi, he says, rabbi, don't you think you're being a little bit harsh? In all of my years... There's only one time I didn't listen to you. This time, you're telling me I never listened to you ever before? And the rabbi said to his aide, he said, if there's a time when I tell you to do something and you think I made a mistake so you don't do it, that means that all the times that you did do what I said, you did what I said because you agreed. You thought that that was the right thing to do. Which means that every time that you did what I said, what were you really doing? Well, you thought... And the proof is that when the one time comes, you disagree with me, would you file? You file yourself. That means that in all this time that I thought you were a loyal, uh, trusted aide, you never did my, my words, you never followed me even one time. Now to me, I, I, the first time I read the story, I was like, oh, clever, right? I see what he did there. But that, now I thought about it a little bit more deeply and I realized what a powerful thing that is. And what a powerful concept that is, not just with regards to the words of a rabbi, but with all Judaism. If I do mitzvot that I like, then I'm not doing mitzvot at all. Not just that mitzvah. None of the mitzvot that I do are the mitzvot of God if the mitzvot that I like to do are the mitzvot that I like. And the ones that I don't care for, I don't do those. That means that no mitzvah is a commandment from God that you're keeping because God told you to. And the proof is when I don't feel like it, I don't want to, right? Very powerful idea. So one of the reasons why it was so important 
to the Torah, Lo tasu small. don't turn right, left, do exactly what they're telling you to do, is because if you don't, then it's not the rabbis that you're listening to, it's not the Torah you're listening to. There needs to be an exactitude in the way a person follows the laws of the Torah. Now my friends, I don't know if it's clear, but this law was once the very difference between uh, a Judaism that would survive and a Judaism that would not. You see, our Torah is given in two parts. This is one part. This is called the Torah Shebechtav, the Torah that was written down. But there's a whole other part called the Torah Shebaalpeh, the Torah that was given, that was an oral Torah. At Mount Sinai, they got both of these. They got a Torah that was written, so to speak, that was given to them, a Torah that would be word for word inscribed, specifically word chosen by word chosen. And then there was another whole Torah that was given alongside it. How can you prove this? How can you know that there's an oral Torah and the rabbis didn't just make up whatever they wanted? Because in the Torah, in this book, there are references to things which are not in the book. I'll give you an example. One example is that God commands us to do shechita, to do, if a person wants to eat meat, they have to slaughter the animal according to the laws of shechita. You know what God says? As I have commanded you. And yet nowhere in the Torah, nowhere, does it tell you how to do shechita. That means that the Torah was relying on another body of information that was available to you. The Torah tells you to put on tefillin. How does it tell you to put on tefillin? It tells you to put ot or totafot benenecha. What's totafot? What is it? Today, you all know what tefillin looks like. If you open the Torah, you would have no idea what that means. In fact, the Gemara says the word totafot is not actually a word in Hebrew. It's a word, it's an amalgam of two words. One in, uh, in katpi and one be'afriki. One in an African terminology and one in a, 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 a Carpathian uh, terminology. Okay? Now, to me, that's wild. Because what does it mean? It means two in Africa and two in the Katpi. Okay? So in these two random languages, you have the word two and the word two. So effectively it's telling you, put four between your eyes. Maybe that's the original source for the word four eyes. But the concept of putting four between your eyes, four what? Four hamantashes? Four tzitzit strings? It doesn't tell you. So it is clear from omission of this book, of details that the Torah is expecting you to keep, that there was another body, a corpus of law that was given alongside. So therefore, if a person was able to listen to a rabbi, not listen to a rabbi, the whole of the Torah would disappear. That's why the Torah uh, made it so strict, this concept of listening to, to, to a rabbi. And I want to share with you what this means, what this concept means to listen to the rabbanim. You know, a lot of times a person thinks that they know the halakha, they know, you need the rabbi to tell you the halakha. But the idea of listening to a rabbi actually goes beyond if the rabbi just tells you, uh, you know, the time of shkia is this. This is the law on Shabbat. I want to share with you a crazy story. There was uh, when the, uh, the rabbi, for the Briska rabbi, when he first became the rabbi, he was very young. He was in his young, it was low 20s. And he was praying on the high holidays, and they walked into the, uh, into the what's it called, into the synagogue. And they came, they came into the synagogue, and they asked to speak to the rabbi, who is the official rabbi of the synagogue? 
So he told him, this is the rabbi of the synagogue. He said, okay, this is the rabbi of the synagogue. Um, we, need, we need him to come with us. Uh, he needs to come. We have a, a, a prisoner, a Jewish prisoner, who we're going to put to death. Okay, and he needs to come and do his final rites. He needs to come and say, uh, you know, the, give him his final prayers before he goes. Anyway, for whatever reason, the rabbi decided he's not, he's not going to go, he shouldn't go. So he doesn't go. He continues to pray. They think he's in the middle of the Amidah. They don't want to disturb him, even though the rabbi knows that they're there and why they're there. They don't want that. We'll come back later. They come back a short time later. They tell him, we need to take the rabbi. There's a lot. They, they, you know, the people in the community are getting agitated. These are soldiers. They're coming from the, the king. You know, if we don't listen, it's going to be a disaster for the community. You can't not listen to them. The rabbi decides he's not going. So now already there's a hubbub in the synagogue. People start talking. Who is this guy? He's a young rabbi. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't realize the trouble he's going to get us in. Someone says to him, you know, look, you know, um, why don't you ask another rabbi? The soldiers say, look, they sent us with orders to go get the official rabbi of the community. He's the guy we need to take. We can't take anyone but the official rabbi. They come back a third time. Again, the rabbi is pretending like he's still in the middle of Musaf so that they can't come and approach him. And they're not approaching him while he's praying. They're showing respect. Some old guy had enough, walks up to the soldiers. He says, listen, um, they didn't want to tell you until now. I'm the official rabbi. They look at this old guy, beard. Okay, he's, he must be, you know. I guess maybe he was afraid or whatever. He's, tell, he's coming clean now. We'll take him. This Zaken, this old guy goes. He does the vidui with the guy, administers the rites, they hang him. Comes back to the shul. The day of Rosh Hashanah, of the day of the tefillah, is not done. When they get a missive that came from another city, where they found out that this Jewish person actually, that they just hung, was actually innocent, and it was a mistaken identity, and now they found the real guy. But it was too late. Because the official rabbi saved the Jews by going early, giving him his official last rites, allowing them to actually go through with the hanging. Sometimes, outside of the realm of halakha, there's a certain si'ata dishmaya, a heavenly help that a rabbi is given, even in things that have nothing to do with giving a ruling on halakha. I want to give you a crazy example. A fellow came to me only a couple days ago. He said, you know, Rabbi, a while ago I was in the Beit Knesset in the synagogue in the city. And my son was uh, in the hospital. And, uh, you know, you came up to me and you asked me what, what brings me here for Shabbat. Good reason, bad reason. And I said, unfortunately, my son's not well. He's in the hospital, etc., etc." And he said, and you gave me a biracha. And you gave me a blessing. And the blessing was, Hashem should bless you that you should never, we should never meet in this shul again for your son. We should never have, we should never meet again in this shul for your son. He should not, you know, this, shouldn't, this meeting should not. Anyway, he said, okay, the very next week, or whatever it was, the very next day, I think it was the next week, he said, unfortunately, my son had to go back to the hospital. Anyway, the only thing I could hear in the back of my head was that you gave me this beracha, that we should not meet again in the synagogue, you know, uh, you know for, for my son. And I was thinking to myself, what a rubbish beracha, it didn't work out. I can't believe the rabbi, I'm going to go, I'm going to tell him I'm here. And when he asks me, I'm going to tell him, because my son's in the hospital. I was a little angry, he said. And he says, I came to the shul, and it happened to be that that week you weren't there. 
Now, it's very rare during the year, I almost never miss Shabbat here. In the summer, we have a rotation. But during the year, I almost never miss. I don't take Shabbats off. That's not uh, my arrangement with the synagogue. So I'm here every week. If I'm off, it's off three times, four times a whole, in a whole year. Two times, actually, because the two of them are on Pesach. I'm off a couple weeks in the whole year. He walks in, ready to, you know, tell me off. Or get... And he said, all of a sudden it hit me. You didn't say, you didn't give me a beracha not to come to the synagogue again. You gave me a beracha that you and I should not meet in the synagogue again. My friends, I am not a baba. I am not a mekubal. I have no right giving berachot. I have no merit. I'm not simple like... Uh, the song goes, Ich bin Nora I'm a simple Jew like anybody else. But you know what? When God gives a person a challenge or a mission in life, what does He give them? He gives them what they need in order to fulfill their mission. If you're a guy who sells cars, God will help you with the things that you need in order to sell cars. If you're someone who does real estate, then God's assistance to you helps you in the world of real estate. When you're a rabbi, God also has to help you in the job of being a rabbi. So if I was not a rabbi, I would be, I think, merit half of the chidushet Torah that I have. Because I don't get them because of me. I get them because I'm teaching Torah to other people. And because I need that for my mission, what does God give every person who has a mission? He gives you the tools to be able to complete the mission. Many times a rabbi will say something, they don't even know why they're saying it. How many times are you giving a class? Somebody comes along, and you said exactly the words that they needed to hear. Rabbi, I don't know how you did it. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't think. I wasn't, I didn't pray. I didn't go to the mikvah before. I didn't, I'm not a heebie-jeebie guy. I don't have my head covered with a talit. You know, I'm not Baba Sali, right? But God made sure that that happened through the rabbi. And that's, I think, an element as well of what's going on over here. And I want to share with you one last thing, and this will end. The Mefarshim say something incredible. On the Mishnah and Avot, the Mishnah and Avot says, Aselecha Rav, Knelecha Chaver, right? A person should make for themselves a rabbi, they should acquire for themselves a friend. Est Mefarshim, Aselecha Rav, make for yourself a rabbi. What if, says the, uh, the Mefarshim, they ask the question, what if a guy is the biggest rabbi in the town? The Mishnah and Avot doesn't apply to him? He also has to have a rabbi. But what if he's the biggest rabbi? I, I, you have to see this with your own eyes to believe it. The Mefarshim say, the Rishonim say, he should go and get a rabbi who is a smaller Talmud Chacham than him, and he should make him his rabbi. How does that make any sense? I know more Torah than him. How could I be his rabbi? What do we do? Ask him a question, he'll tell me he doesn't know, and then he'll ask me, and I'll now tell him, and then he'll then tell me what I just told him. How does that make sense? But the answer is, there's a spiritual reality to a person's rabbi. And I also say that that's also why it's so important, because when you're supposed to ask your rabbi your questions, your rabbi not only is giving you his own advice from the abilities that he has in his head and in his heart, but it's also because God blesses that rabbi with what he needs to be able to fulfill his role for you. But if you just didn't do that, and you went to whomever, then that's not the same thing. You didn't get maybe the right answer. Ase lecha rav. There's a si'ata deshmaya. 
I remember once hearing that there was a rabbi who had a great Talmid uh, Chacham for a student. And the guy, he wasn't looking for a job, he just liked to learn Torah. He sat in the back. You know, they called him up, they called him up to the Torah as a mister. You know? And they didn't call him rabbi. Why? Because he didn't, do, he didn't uh, call himself rabbi. He didn't get... He goes up to his student, he says, he says, I want you, from now on, I'm decreeing on you that you have to go by the name rabbi. You know the Shulchan Aruch, you have the Simicha. You didn't apply for Simicha, but you know it all already. I'm your rabbi, I'm telling you you have to be. The student says, why? What for? He says, because there's a complete change that happens in a person when they officially become a rabbi. Wild. Isn't that a crazy thing? Now that idea is something that is larger than the person themselves. Because when a person takes the bichinot, becomes, gets the semicha, is ordained as a rabbi, they are being given a job. A job that is as old as the Jewish people itself. And they have a mission, and once they have a mission, God gives them something special. What a crazy concept. And that's the idea, lo tasur yemin usmo. Find a rabbi, get close to that rabbi, to that teacher, understand that he is given insight that is beyond his years. The rabbi was 23 years old when he made this seemingly impossible judgment call. And he was right. My friends, when a person... uh, has emunat chachamim, they never lose out. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen.